Good evening, church. It's good to see everyone. I guess uh, I'm tempted to come and you know rap at that event, but I'm not single, so I guess uh, I'm not invited. So you guys are gonna have to wait to to see my talent in that area. I do rap, um, but it's good to see everybody. I hope everybody's doing well. A few weeks ago, I uh, I started to talk about the call to follow Jesus and where God calls us out of the world to be his disciples and to be a part of his church and to be a part of his kingdom. Uh, again, we did not choose him. He chose us. And again, I want to encourage you as we go through this series that uh, you take very good notes. Again, welcome to midweek service. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're very thankful that you are here. And uh, before I go any further, I heard that the singles had a great service on Sunday at Lehman College. I'm looking forward to a couple of you guys sharing about that on Sunday uh, for a few minutes and just tell us how things went. Uh, I, I did listen to Sam's message and as usual, he did a phenomenal job. And uh, But uh, it's great to see you guys. I also want to encourage you singles uh, to, to go listen to Wallace's message from last Sunday. He also did a fantastic job. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and listen to it probably as part of your quiet time sometime this week. Uh, it, it, it was very convicting, and I'm sure it'll be very inspiring to you also. Again, Wally, thank you for, for preaching on Sunday about the call to flee from sin. And so tonight, I want to talk to us about the call to prepare for Jesus' return. The call to prepare for Jesus' return. Also, the call to prepare for Jesus' second coming. Same thing. On Monday, Queen Elizabeth was buried in England, and uh, my wife and I, we got up at 2.30 in the morning and watched. And um, every time I watch a funeral, I can't help but think that one day, that's going to be me. Yes, I don't know the day I'm going to die, you also don't know the day you are going to pass away. But one day, our loved ones will gather, our friends and our family. They will be in mourning. And they will also come say goodbye. Chances are, though, none of us will be on television. Because in this world, nobody really cares who we are. But God does. And so I know that one day, we all have a destiny with death, every last one of us, or if Jesus comes back before then. And so that's what I want to start talking about tonight. And because Jesus promised that he's going to come back, you and I need to be preparing for his return or for our passing in this world, whichever comes first. As a matter of fact, I believe that if we prepare daily for Jesus' return, we will be preparing for the time for us, when the time comes for you and I to depart from this world. How many people die each day, you may ask? According to stats from just a couple of years ago, this was before COVID, just before COVID, on the average, we would lose 183,000 people per day worldwide. 
That translates to almost 8,000 people every hour. Before I'm done with this sermon, before I'm done with this lesson tonight, before we're done with midweek, about 8,000 people would have passed away somewhere on this earth. That translates to 128 people per minute. Now, if you translate those numbers into just the U.S., in the U.S., we lose 8,610 people per day. Brothers and sisters, these numbers are very sobering. To think that one day, you and I will be a part of this statistic. One day, you and I will depart from this world. And so I want to begin tonight by asking us, are you ready for Jesus' return? And are you ready to meet him on the other side? In Matthew chapter 24, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to start reading from verse 36. We're going to be reading verses 36 to 51. Matthew chapter 24 from verses 36 to 51. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinded with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, He's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says here that no one, absolutely no one, knows the day or the hour except the Father alone. I've always wondered, and still do, why God just wouldn't tell us the date and the time. 
Why also has he chosen not to tell us the day of our death? Brothers and sisters, I don't know the answer to that. I only know that as a human, there are a lot of times I, I like to leave things at the very last minute. When I'm about to travel or go on a trip out of town, I make a to-do list. And because I don't want to forget anything, I write a to-do list and on the list, I'll say stuff like, I need to pay this bill. I need to pick up clothes from the dry cleaners or I need to go buy so, so, and so for this trip. But I make that list. And I'm always amused by, as I cancel stuff off and I'm doing stuff, I'm adding stuff to the list. And it never fails where I've done my stuff, I think I've covered everything and I'm still on a plane and I'm going somewhere and I remember, uh-oh, I did not do this. There was a time we were living in Atlanta at the time and we we're getting ready to go to Texas for, for a wedding and we we're driving as a family. And you know, I made my to-do list, I checked off everything and we're on the road driving to Texas and I believe we were in Alabama. And I got a phone call from my neighbor directly opposite us. And he says, uh, uh, Richard, um, are you home? I said, no. He says, uh, I got home this afternoon and I, I noticed that your garage door was open. And as I'm going to bed tonight, you know, your garage is still open. And I said, oh my word, I forgot to close the garage door as we drove off. So I gave him the code, he was very nice. He, he went outside, he, he plugged in the code and the garage door closed. And we were gone for like a week, which meant that garage door would have been open for one week if he hadn't called me and just said, by the way, you left your garage door open. And, um, you know, I remember being tickled thinking, you know what, here I am, I, I don't forget anything, but I forgot and I left the garage door open. But I was very thankful that he called us. But he said, brothers and sisters, a lot of us, we, we, we like to leave things to the last minute. And Jesus' return, the Bible teaches, will be like the account of Noah that you and I read about in Genesis chapter 6 and in Genesis chapter 7. Depending on how you calculate the time and the ages of Noah's kids, and it's very fascinating, you can go do it. You know, it probably took Noah about 55 to 75 years to build that ark. And while he was doing it, I'm sure people were coming by and saying, hey, dude, what's, what's going on? And, and I'm sure Noah was telling them because we're told in the New Testament that he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was telling them, you know what, guys, a flood is coming. But nobody took him seriously. Not one single person. All those years as he was building that ark. And that was a huge ark. You can go do the dimensions. Okay? And it wasn't as if he could just go down the store and go buy all the material. He and his sons and daughters had to go cut down the trees. And that's why it took them that long. But they persevered because they believed God when he said, guys, I want you to build this ark because I'm going to bring floodwaters upon the earth. And I'm so thankful that Noah 
and his family took God seriously. While the rest of the world didn't listen. And you know the story. In Genesis 8, obviously, the flood comes and it, it wipes away mankind. But Noah was able to save his family because he and his family and their, their sons and their, and, their, and their wives and their the wives they were betrothed to, they were all in the ark. And God also told Noah, you know the story, you've read it, to take two of every kind of animal into the ark, male and female. And it's very fascinating to me in the story, the animals came to the ark. So he didn't have to go look for them. But it took him a long time. Noah was basically saying to the people of his day, judgment from God is coming. Again, they didn't listen. They didn't take him seriously. Brothers and sisters, Matthew 25 and other parables that follow were written to us, not to non-Christians. I'm going to say that again. Matthew 25 and all the parables that follow were written to us as Christians, were written to us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. They were not written to non-Christians. And so the passage I just read where it says, you don't know the day or the hour that you need to get ready. It's going to be like when Noah, back in the days of Noah, when people were getting married and carrying on and having a good time and partying and getting married and all that kind of stuff. It says, Jesus' return is going to be just like that. But he's talking to us. And so the question I want to ask us tonight as we continue this, are we listening to these warnings on a daily basis? Or have we allowed the things that are going on in our lives and in this world to kind of sidetrack us? Instead of us remembering that, you know what? There's going to be a day of reckoning that Jesus is going to come back. That's why you and I are in the church. We believe that. And that's why we became disciples. That's why we said Jesus is Lord. Because we believe that the Bible is true. And we believe that one day Jesus is going to come back. If you didn't believe that, you would not become a Christian. But we do believe it. But you see, these passages are here because Jesus wants us to get ready. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is the context of all the passages that follow? The parable of the ten virgins follows what I just read in terms of the day and the hour is unknown. The parable of the talents. When God gave out talents to different people and some turned around and Multiply their talents, and one guy went and buried his talent. Another guy, another parable, right after, also in Matthew 25, I've given you the references here up on the screen, the parable of the sheep and the goats. What is the context? The message is consistent in all of them. God is saying, my children, get ready. I'm coming back. The day of reckoning is coming. And so again, I'm asking us individually tonight. Are you ready for his coming? Remember that we all came into the kingdom of God at different times. Even if you're married and perhaps you and your wife were baptized on the same day, but you came in separately. You all pledged Jesus is Lord. As a single person, you also came into into God's kingdom on a particular day. And praise God, you're still here and you're doing great. We got to make sure that we make it to the end and we finish to the end. Because 
There's a passage in the Old Testament that I would love for you guys to go study out. All I'm going to say is, is in Ezekiel, but you go find it. And it talks about how, you know, if a righteous man does good, and then later on it changes and stops doing bad and starts doing bad, the righteous things he had done in the poor will not mean anything. And it also talks about if somebody's been able and they change and they start doing good, the bad stuff they had done is not going to count. But it's in there. And so the question is not whether we started this race. The question is going to be the kind of race we are running and whether we're going to finish it and finish it well. And in view of the fact that Jesus is going to come back, we need to finish it well. You know, there's a lot about God in the scriptures. We saw a very good God. He's, he's, he's a wonderful God. He's been so good to you and me. He's a God who does not treat us like our sins deserve. And uh, I'm so thankful that he's called us to flee from sin for our own good. God is not trying to steal our fun by telling us to live our lives a certain way, by telling us to live our lives according to his word. He's really trying to help us to avoid a lot of landmines in this life, so to speak. But you see, the thing is, are we ready for when he comes back? If at midnight tonight, the trumpet sounds and it's all over, will you make it? You ought to be able to say, yes, I am confident that if Jesus came back tonight, I'm going to hell. Because you are living like a disciple of Jesus Christ. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart, but he can. He can. The Bible talks a lot about God's wrath. I know a lot of preachers don't like to talk about it, but it's there. And I, as an evangelist, many, many, many years ago, I decided I am going to teach the whole will of God. Because I want us to remember that I'm also going to stand before God one day and give an account of my stewardship and give an account for my life and for people that God has put under my care and how did I take care of them? And so if the Bible says it, I am going to talk about it. If it's not in the Bible, I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested because it's not going to last for eternity. And so again, tonight, as we continue, are we ready for Jesus is coming? C.S. Lewis once said, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. Precisely because we cannot predict the moment of his return, we must be ready at all moments. In Matthew chapter 7, again, a passage that was very familiar to us. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, excuse me, and only a few find it. And then later on in verses 21 and 23, we're still in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, brothers and sisters, the Bible contains many warnings. The first one, obviously, we find in Genesis chapter 2, about not eating from the tree of good and evil. Jesus is warning us, even in these two passages I just read. He says, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. How did Jesus know? He created them. Okay? That's how he knows. He says, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. He says, the wide gate is comfortable. As a matter of fact, it's a lot easier. The wide gate provides a false sense of comfort because majority of people enter through that gate. God is telling us, brothers and sisters, not to follow the crowd. Most of mankind, according to the Bible, are going in the wrong direction. This is not something that the New York City Church of Christ and other affiliated churches came up with. It is the Bible that says it. As I was preparing this lesson, I thought about my best friend from high school. We did everything together. We got in trouble together. We were in a boarding school. We would scale the fence and go out to movies. We did all kinds of stuff. Obviously, we were breaking the rules. And um, we graduated in 78. And he left off. He left to go to, he was a very smart guy. A whole lot smarter than me. He went straight into university. And I went to like a junior college, so to speak. But unfortunately, when he got to college, he started to do drugs. He started with marijuana and then moved on to other drugs. And I went off to junior college and then I, I came over here when I was 18, in 1980. And I'll never forget when I went back home and, you know, obviously I'm an adult and I'm a Christian. And I run into a classmate of ours right in front of midweek. We're having a midweek service. And I was standing just outside, just in fellowship. And I see this classmate of mine, another classmate of mine coming. And so we start talking. And so I asked about my best friend. And he said to me, as a matter of fact, he now lives with his mother, that he got so messed up in college with drugs. And as a matter of fact, he was telling me how a bunch of them collect money every month and sent to him so he can feed himself and just, you know, take care of himself. But obviously he wasn't working. He was at home. And I, I'll never forget the feeling I had when I heard that. As he walked away, I started to tear up because I just couldn't believe it. And fast forward a few years ago, I'm talking to this same guy that I ran into that, that evening. I said, by the way, how's he doing? And he said to me, you didn't hear? He said, he passed away. I was like, 
what? Yeah, he's passed away. And I hung up and I just cried. He was my best friend in high school. And my heart breaks because I wish he had had an opportunity to know God, but he didn't. But that was his choice. And I, I remember being very humbled by thinking, you know what, why did God save me? I mean, why, why did God allow me to, to meet disciples? And they invited me to church. And eventually I studied the Bible and I, and I, I decided to make the change. You see, all of us, we all going to stand before God one day and give an account. We got to make sure that we do this thing right. And so I'm asking us tonight, where do you want to spend eternity? Are you ready for the second, second coming of Jesus? And are you truly ready to meet your maker? It says in this passage that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not so much what we say, it's how we live. We've been through a lot in the last two and a half years. And I'm very thankful that as we're going through this um, pandemic and trying to find out how to do church, the New York City Church gave us the option to be able to do church because obviously we couldn't gather together because of the pandemic. They gave us the option to you know, watched basically Sunday church. And it was during that time, my wife and I moved here. And Sunday church, we'd, get in, we'd all get in front of our computers, on our telephones, or on TV, and, and we'd watch church. And that was it. And um, midweek, we would do it like I'm doing like tonight. And we're still doing via Zoom. But it was an option that the church provided for us so that because we couldn't gather and not spread the virus to each other, and um, they provided us that option. And I gotta be very honest with us, and I've said this several times. I'm not talking about a lot of us that are immunocompromised and are sick and need to stay home. I'm not, I'm not talking to you guys. I never have. But I'm very concerned about some of us where for us now, Sunday church is just, let me just get on my computer. We give that option because we couldn't meet together. Now we can meet together. Now we know how to fight this virus. Now we know how to, uh, a lot of us are vaccinated. Now we, we're, we're learning how to live with COVID-19. And so I want to see you at church in person. There are times when some of us will come for like three weeks and then the next two weeks, we just stay home. And I'll see you and I'll ask, hey, how you doing? I didn't see you at church last weekend. Oh, we just decided to stay home. I'm not sure that's why we gave this option. We need to come back to church. We need to come worship together. I got scriptures on that. That we shouldn't be in the habit of not meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
And it's not just Brooklyn, it's all over. You know, we, we got to make sure that we're not taking this thing too far. Now, you're afraid of, man, I don't want to get COVID. You can wear your mask. A lot of us in the room are still wearing our mask, and that's okay. Because several things are going on. If you are not coming to church, what that tells me, okay, I could be wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong. What that tells me is that throughout the entire week, you are not talking to anybody about God, let alone inviting them to church. Because there's no way in the world you can say, hey, hey, I love for inviting to church on Sunday. Okay, great. Send me a seat. Oh, I don't go in person, you know, but you can go. That guy's not going to show up. That lady's not going to show up. Because they're going to be saying to him, this one is not even serious. When you don't show up at church, we can't ask you to help us in different areas. Here we are, we're about to open, open Kids Kingdom. We need your help. There's a lot that needs to go on to make that service go on. And, you know, many of us show up every week. We're serving as ushers. We're serving as in, in, on the worship team. We're, we're serving in security. I applaud you and I thank you. But we need your help. You are part of the body of Christ. And so I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging us to come back into the house. And let's worship God. Let's raise up our voices together. Amen? Very, very important. Enough of this. Okay, I'm just going to have breakfast in bed. And, you know, I'm just going to roll over in my pajamas and just turn the TV on. When you, There's nothing wrong with you. And again, if you're sick, please stay home. Please stay home. But if there's nothing wrong with you, we need you to come worship God. Let's do it together. Like what I talked about on Sunday. James 4, 17 says, you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you are in sin. You know, I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I wasn't feeling very well. And um, as while I was preaching, I was like, bro, preach. When I say that, I'm, pre I'm talking to myself. I mean, he, 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 he said some, some, some great things on Sunday. That was very convicting for me. And, you know, I'm thankful for the option. But if I wasn't sick, I would have been there in person. No question. Again, I also know that if we're week in and week out, perpetually just staying home, I know you're not reaching out to anybody. And you're not studying the Bible with anybody. And that's part of discipleship. God has called us to seek and save the lost. The reason why you are in this church is because somebody reached out to you. Somebody opened their mouth. It could have been a family member. It could have been somebody you were working with. It could have been on your job. It could have been a family member. It could have been a stranger. And now you're here. Part of the call is still to seek and to save the lost. And so again, I'm saying this, and I'm going to keep on saying this. If you're sick and you're home, I'm not talking to you. Please get better. Please continue to stay home. I was so encouraged. Was it last week? Not, not this past Sunday. The weekend, the weekend before. A lot of our daytimers, the older citizens, they're immunocompromised. They were all at church. 
He was awesome. He was so encouraging seeing them. They're like, we're, we're coming to church. And they came. That was the first time I saw some of them. And that was fantastic. They're a fantastic group. They're, they're awesome ladies. But some of us, there's nothing wrong with us. And, you know, church has now become, well, I just turn on the TV. I just turn my computer on. I want you to go back and read James 4.17. Don't play with God. Don't, don't do this. God has blessed them with a great location right in the middle of Brooklyn. Luke 9 tells us that we need to deny ourselves. It may come as a surprise to you. It's not every day I wake up and I'm just, man, I can't wait to get into my Bible. There are days when I don't feel like it. But I deny myself. It's not every day, man, I just I can't wait to talk to God. There are days when I'm just, I'm just wiped out. But I got to deny myself. Because that's what Jesus calls me to. That's the first commandment about being a disciple. For me to deny myself. That I put aside what I feel like doing. And I do what God has called me to do. It's a daily thing. But you see, we got to make sure that we're obeying the scriptures and that we're practicing getting to, to meet Jesus or practicing and getting ready for his return. If Jesus returns or if we die before then and we don't repent, brothers and sisters, it will be too late. Some of you may be thinking right now, oh, Richard, you're making me feel guilty. No. The Bible is the one laying out the standard. Okay, don't blame the messenger. I'm just, that's all I am. I'm just a messenger. The, the word of God also applies to me. Okay? And I'm, all I'm saying is, as, as your minister, and as your brother in Christ, I'm appealing to you. Now, for others, that may not be your sin. It may be something else. But we all still need to repent and keep on repenting of whatever it is that's going to keep us from seeing the face of God. That's the point I'm making tonight. Repentance is a continuous thing. How are you at home? Husband and wife. How's the relationship? How's it going? If I ask your spouse, how are you doing? What would they say? Are you getting help? If we're single, what are we up to at night? Are you watching stuff that you're not meant to be watching on, on, on television, on computer? What, 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 how are you doing? Let's remember that God sees everything that's going on. We get only one chance at this life, brothers and sisters. We can't afford to mess it up. You know, when you and I are in sin, there's always guilt. It's just there. That's the way we're made. That's, that's, that's the way God made us. But you're not just meant to feel guilty. My guilt is supposed to lead me to repentance. And so, you know, you feel like, oh, man, you're making me feel guilty. I pray it leads you to repentance. That's what I'm saying. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 26, to me, these are one of those, again, scary verses in, in Scripture. It's in there. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, he's talking to us. 
No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's going to the Old Testament now. God said, it doesn't say I might repay. It says I will repay. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Okay? And we just don't know when, but it's coming. He says the Lord will judge his people. In verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want us to memorize that passage. Hebrews 10, 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Memorize it. On Sunday, while it talks about the sins of the heart. And he's, as he was preaching, he said something that I was like, uh-oh, talk to me, preacher. He says the perfection we should be seeking ought to be a spiritual one. And I thought, wow, that is so profound. Brother, again, thank you for preaching that lesson. You could have easily done that lesson in two parts. This Sunday, we're going to start talking about the call to be humble. And we're going to do it in two parts. And so get ready. Because there's so much in there. Brothers and sisters, I want all of us to see the face of God. You know, my motivation for doing the ministry and for still being a preacher, I just want people to see the face of God. That's all it is. And I'm pleading with you that whatever is going on in your life, you need to get it right. If you need help, go get it. Ask for it. Don't suffer in silence. We are in this thing together. I need to wrap this up. C.S. Lewis also said in, the, in his book, The Case for Christianity, says, for this time, it will be God without these guys. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. Some of us, we've read this book. That's where this quote is from. In 2 Peter chapter 3, begin verse 10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 18. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives 
as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote, also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you, know, you may not be carried away by the error of, of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and evermore. I love this passage. He simply says, since everything is going to be destroyed, what kind of people ought we to be? We need to live spotless, blameless, and be at peace with him. And it reminds us that God's patience means salvation, not only for us, but for a lot of people. Because again, the Bible teaches very clearly, when Jesus returns, it's not going to be a day of happiness. Yes, you and I as Christians, we're going to be happy. We're going to be grooving. We're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be dancing. But that's not most of the world. Most of mankind will not make it. And that's why it says that the, the old earth will mourn. People are not, most people are not going to be dancing and cheering. People are going to be weeping and gnashing because they're going to know it's too late. And that's why every day you and I need to continue to prepare for his return. Brothers and sisters, the end is near. Every single day you and I wake up on this earth is another day closer to our end. Our day closer to the end. We are living in the last days. This is not a game. It never was. And so I'm asking us tonight as I wrap this stuff up, what do you need to repent of from last Sunday's message? What do you need to repent of from tonight's message? All I've done tonight is continue from where he left off. Remember that sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 1. I want all of us to be able to see the face of God. And so I'm asking you as, as your brother in Christ tonight, how are you doing? How are you really doing? I don't want Satan to take you down. I don't. I want you to do well. I want you to see the face of your God. I want you to spend eternity with this incredible God in this incredible place that you and I read about. But we've got to make sure that we are preparing ourselves for when we leave this world or if he comes back before that time. And that's what tonight has been about. Again, I'm going to quote Wali Omoloju. The perfection we should be seeking ought to be a spiritual one. Brothers and sisters, let's continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
I hope this message has been helpful. I'm going to ask our sister Monique Allen to unmute yourself and lead us in a word of prayer. And after that, let's have a great time of fellowship in our breakout rooms. God bless you all.